There are so many books that come out every single year and all of them, well, not all of them, but many of them look really, really good. And even from the, the Christian publishers, so not even counting fiction or anything else, I'm just amazed every year at how many great books are being published. And I think we could maybe be a little bit cynical on one side about that because there's a market there. Uh, but th those books are really, really helpful. And at Resurrection Church, we are always encouraging people to pick up books and read. Uh, but there can be a temptation to read really narrowly and not just in terms of authorial perspective, but also in terms of, of time period. But C.S. Lewis encouraged people something like, for every new book you read, read a couple books by people who are dead, right? Mm -hmm. Is that what he says, Ethan? I, some, something like that. It may be a little bit better, but yeah, I can't he, remember well, the exact okay. quote. <laughs> Anything C.S. Lewis says is going to be said a yeah. little bit better than how I say it. But, but I think we should take Lewis's encouragements to heart and be reading authors who have died long ago and who are reading in a different time period. And so today I, I am with Ethan Miller, who has spoken on our church podcast a handful of times, and he's back. Um, we, I was talking with Ethan about uh, his homework assignment for Bethlehem College and Seminary as he's wrapping up his MDiv there. And he mentioned that he was reading a book about a guy named Samuel Pierce in, in is this in an anthology of his works? Ethan? I didn't actually look at the book. Yeah, yeah. So this is, it's called Joy Unspeakable and Full of Glory. It's edited and introduced by Michael A.G. Haken, who is a professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, yeah, it's it's mostly the first maybe 50 pages are just an overview of his life. And then it's just an anthology of the letters that he wrote to friends, other pastors. Um, That's great. Yeah. Yeah, so when, when I was in seminary, I felt like I put a ton of work into assignments, and then they died as soon as they got submitted, <laughs> and, and they didn't go anywhere. Exactly. And so I was always trying to talk with people about the things I, I was studying because I just spent a long time working on it, mm -hmm. and I was excited when, Ethan, you mentioned that you were reading this book. And hopefully this will be helpful for you in that your assignment's not dead there. Exactly. I, yeah. I know you're making it alive in your own life, but mm -hmm. perhaps you can allow us to get a little bit of a peek into what you've been studying. So I, I want to just ask, who is this guy, Samuel Pierce? Like, what time period is he in? Like, where, who is this guy? Yeah, so Samuel Pierce was a pastor in, um, I believe, let me make sure I get this right, yeah, so 18th century England. Okay, um, now sometimes those century numbers are complicated because it, yes. that's actually during the 1700s. 1700s, not late the 1700s. 1800s. Yes, <laughs> yes, <Okay>. exactly. <laughs> um, so he uh, lived right up into uh, the the next century, the 1800s, um, and he's he's an old guy. Aaron, he's he's a little he's he's dead. <laughs> yeah, he he is dead. How how old was he when he wrote the things that you were reading? Um, so he became a Christian when he was seventeen years old, and he started writing almost immediately after his conversion. So maybe okay. a year. The first letter that I read was his when he was seventeen years old. Okay. Um, and then he lived. He died fairly tragically from some sort of lung disease at the age of thirty-three. Okay, so from seventeen to thirty-three, he was writing pretty consistently. Okay, so he's he sort of had the same end as like David Brainerd and, and other people, mm -hmm. relatively close to to that 
era. Exactly. Who yep. maybe just died earlier. It was more common, mm-hmm. but um, mm-hmm. it's interesting to read people's letters who died early. And mm-hmm. I, I'm reading right now Diedrich Bonhoeffer's Letters and Papers from Prison. And of course, he died in his 40s. But then last year, I read the the journal of Jim Elliott that's been published. And he died at 28. And I think there's something meaningful. Like, it, in, in mm-hmm. one way, it makes it more meaningful. I can't articulate why. But, mm-hmm. but when you read letters and, and journals of these individuals who died at a younger age... Now, who who were other people that Pierce was connected to that maybe we would recognize? Because I had never heard this guy's name until you talked about him. Yeah, so Samuel Pierce, probably the most recognizable name that he would be associated with is Jim Carrey, who is a missionary, one of one of the first missionaries in that time period coming out of England. He was a missionary to India for some time. Um, so he was a huge... Samuel Pier- Pierce was a huge encourager of uh, Jim Carrey and uh, worked, uh, did a lot of work in England to help raise support for okay. him. And, now by Jim Carrey, do you oh mean no. William Carrey? I mean William Carrey. Okay. I, I knew I was going to mix, <laughs> I knew I was going to mix that up. I that, came in here knowing I was going to mix that th- up. <laughs> that's okay. That happens. William Carrey. Um, yeah. Jim, Jim Carrey is a comedian actor. Is that right? I think so. Um, I've heard that name before, and I just Googled it, and uh, yeah. different guy, William Carey, um, is, <laughs> totally was, was yeah. a missionary. Not a comedian, um, at least. And, and then for those who might oh, be aware, John Ryland Jr., you mentioned. Yeah. Andrew Fuller is probably another uh, more well-known figure, or at least a name is sort of a household name. Yeah, so if we wanted to sort of draw a line of influence, it would probably be something like Andrew Fuller to... Uh, Samuel Pierce to William Carey okay. would kind of, that would be a little simplistic, but that okay. would maybe be the way that we could think about it linearly. And, and you mentioned that he had also written a letter to Roger Williams. Yes. Yeah. So he w- he just wrote letters to a lot of people. Okay. I, like, I really think he saw this as sort of a ministry of his. And so that was kind of, in a sense, a one-off letter. Um but he uh, he really liked Roger Williams and what okay. he was doing in America. Yeah, that's great. So yeah. so Roger Williams, I think we know as a Baptist, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Uh, essentially the guy who started Rhode Island, like colonized Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, okay, so I think I'm getting my bearings on where <laughs> this guy is and, and who he is. So he was in England, is that correct? Yes. Yep. That's okay. correct. Yeah. All right. So you read a bit of his life. And is there anything from his life before we start talking about his letters that that might be of interest? Um, yeah, I uh, I think what was most captivating to me personally was um, the way that he suffered toward the end of his life and the way that he did that well. Um, you can see that in his letters. It was a really tough um, sickness that he had, hmm. um, and it was really hard for him. It was hard for him to even speak toward the end of his life and. Um, seeing even his faithfulness and his his faithfulness in like taking some paper, putting a pen to it, and caring about other people mm. was really captivating to me. Also, his um, in a time where it wasn't common to see husbands who really truly outwardly love their wives, mm-hmm. um, Samuel Pierce outwardly uh, talked about his wife and e- expressed his love to her, mm. and that was really. Uh, really capturing to me yeah okay 
Well, talk talk about his letters. I I read your essay here, and and you begin by talking about his gospel centeredness or his his commitment to glorify God in mm-hmm. every aspect of life. How how does that come through in his letters? Yeah, so um, I I would say it came through in just the demeanor of his letters. First, he was happy and hopeful. And uh, you could see that that happiness and hopefulness wasn't just something that was just uh, he ha- you know he had had his cup of coffee and was vibing, uh, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, but it was he was grounded in scripture, gospel truth, and that that showed itself in an enjoyment of life and uh, and hope for what God was doing in England. Um, and then also, I, I just mentioned in my essay that it, it came out particularly in his love for friendship and his love for missions. Mm-hmm. Um, so Yeah, I, I read the quote you put in there where it just seems like he's, he's a humble but happy guy. And, <laughs> you know, he, he writes, as you quote him, I have no righteousness of my own, no merits of mine to bring, the best of my performance comes infinitely short of the holy law of God. On Jesus alone, then, I must depend for salvation. Here I rest. Hence, I draw all my hope. Happy, thrice happy, they who have washed and made their robes white in the blood of the Lamb. And as I was reading that, I, w- I was thinking, that that's the attitude we all need. Like, yeah. to be humble does not mean to lack happiness, but but perhaps as we find humility in Christ, we'll, we'll be even happier than ever before. Yeah, and, and that's one of the first letters that he wrote as a, as a 17-year-old, a new mm. Christian, who, and, and he had a, a bit of a sort of a, we would say, quote-unquote, like, rough past, um, and he was very unhappy before coming to Christ, and just uh. seeing, just seeing that even just seeing that change just in his own expressed letters is really beautiful. Yeah. So so then he he works that out in pursuing friendship it seems. It's not just that he waits for friends to come along but is is putting in the hard work towards friendship. What about his friendship and his attitude towards friendship did you pick up on? Yeah, so I, he saw friendship I I think first of all, he saw friendship as extremely important in his walk with Christ, like uh, a physical um, person-to-person friendship. Mm. And it's something, it seems like, um, that he pursued very vigorously in his education. Um, so so when he was at school, there was one particular guy, um, and I, I'm blanking on his name, I can't remember, um, <clears throat> who was his roommate, and they, they took time, Josiah Evans, I believe, yes, Josiah Evans, um, they took time to um, put the work into their friendship and to point each other to Christ. Mm-hmm. And so there were nights where they would uh, push each other and say, hey, I saw this sin in your life. Uh, we need to, you know, you need to confess this sin. Or is this something that's going on? Um, are, are you thinking this way? I'm not sure that this is the best way. Or mm-hmm. I saw this in your life and this was really encouraging to me. And that takes a lot of time, and it's clear that he invested that time even just with his roommate. Yeah, you, you mentioned that he really leaned into the ideas of faithfulness and transparency mm-hmm. in, in friendship. Mm-hmm. And I think faithfulness to the Lord, it seems, but but perhaps even faithfulness to each other um, and, and a 
deepening transparency as as they grew in friendship. Mm, yep. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that's one of the things I appreciate about reading some of these older authors. It seems like friendship was valued, especially among men. And, um, and perhaps this is just because I most of what we have preserved are, are things written by men from that time period. But it seemed like there was an emphasis on male friendship that isn't quite the same. Um, I, I'm grateful to have grown up with some really close male friends. Uh, but I, I just feel like I meet so many guys who don't have that close friendship or the idea of friendship wouldn't include ideas of faithfulness to each other and Christ in transparency, but more of let's do something macho maybe. And, and that's <laughs> the extent of our gun. friendship yeah. or, or we're just, we, we small talk and and that's about it. And so it was encouraging to read a little bit of his, his friendship. I think seeing this in, with Bonhoeffer in his letters and papers from prison as he's writing to dear friends, men who, who he shares his life with. And, and same with Jim Elliott as he's, I, I think, spread a bit more thin as he is traveling everywhere, you know, doing a lot more things, but but still very intentionally pursuing friendship with, with other guys. And, and I think what feels weird to us was perhaps normal there. I don't know if these guys are representative or not, but I, I think it's a virtuous pursuit that's sometimes forgotten. And that's I think that's why it's so important that we take time to read some of these older guys is we we have blind spots that we're often just not aware of. It's it's not uncommon for me to think hanging out with my guy friends is throwing on the TV, watching a football game and making fun of the commercials. Yeah. And, and of course, there's a good place for that. Um, but <clears throat> what I realized in reading this was, wow, I'm I'm somewhat missing out on the the depth of friendship that I could be having because I, I, I don't I, I just never thought of it before. Yeah, absolutely. So. so he he demonstrates friendship that really I think is an outflow of his friendship in Christ. But mm-hmm. you also mentioned that that he really showed his hope and joy and salvation through mission. What what did he give himself over to even even in the short years that he lived? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so understanding Samuel Pierce in his historical context is really important. He's coming from a time where it was very common for people to see missions as totally needless. We don't need to be doing it. In fact, not only do we not need to be doing it, maybe we shouldn't be doing it. Um, so Pierce, uh, along with some of these other guys who are starting to realize these things, especially Andrew Fuller, um, they they were kind of uh, they were they were pretty like I don't know about this these guys. They're really pushing this missions envelope. Um, <clears throat> so for him to be all about missions means two things. One, that he was convinced that missions were a b- biblical thing mm-hmm. from the Bible by some of his friends, <laughs> friendship again being very important. Um, and then two, that um, his love for others extended past the way that he felt other people viewed him. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe some of his his colleagues, um, some of his even Baptist colleagues. Um, so his, his love was not just rooted in... Um, uh, what other people think of me, but but truly was concerned for the spiritual well-being of everyone, including people from India and all over the world. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I can't remember your question. I don't know if I'm exactly answering 
Yeah, I I think you're getting at it. It it seems like he he's so convinced that people need Jesus in in that he's found this hope and joy and rest in Christ that it it moves him to to give up what's probably conceived as of as rest by everybody yes. else to to where the rest that he has in Christ motivates him to not be comfortable. And I think that's one of the the paradoxes of Christianity a little bit. Yeah. Uh but it's it's interesting to see that in in a time period where missions that wasn't the hip thing to do. Mm. And and I think perhaps that's sort of becoming more true in the way missions is talked about right now in in our day. Um, but, but I think that's the way Christianity gets talked about is you find your rest in Jesus and, and now you're free to live your happy and comfortable life. And in, in one way that's true because now we can value all of the good gifts and pleasures that, that we have as gifts from God, but, but also there's a counterintuitive nature of the rest we have in Christ, which comes with a whole lot of uncomfortability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Samuel, Pierce actually wanted to join uh, William Carey on the field in India mm. so bad that he was he was begging his church, "Let me go, let me go, I want to go, I want to go," but they w- they actually asked him to stay because he was so convincing for other people in uh. England to do missions that he had. So is a, a flip. I'm I don't know if I have the, the the I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Very clear example of him saying. Um, I need to be content in my comfortable position here in England yeah. because I want to go so bad, but God is using me here and I need to stay. Yeah, and I, I think that's the rare person who is discontent yeah. in their comfortable <laughs> position, and it's an act of sacrifice and reliance on the Lord to become content exactly. in a comfortable yeah. position. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're discontent in our comfort for other reasons, <laughs> right? Because we want more of it. Mm. Uh, but to, to know that there are individuals who probably, like Paul, are saying, there, there are times where I want to put myself out there, and I, I'm not being permitted to at this mm-hmm. moment, and, and that's challenging. Mm. What what else did you learn from Samuel Pierce, or as as you better yet, as as you've reflected on his life, some of his writings, how has that, if it has, sort of reoriented your thinking and life patterns? Yeah, I I think um, one way that my thinking has started to just reorient, and th- and this isn't just Samuel Pierce, but um, is is utilizing the things. Uh, that I have in this earth, the the friendships that I have, the um, you know the bed that I can sleep on for eight hours a night <laughs> comfortably, utilizing those things for the kingdom mm-hmm. and um, redeeming them for that purpose. So so not saying, okay, I know friendships; these are worldly friendships, and I need to focus more on Jesus. So you know, Jesus is. And I would agree with this. Jesus is more important than friendships. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm prizing my friendships more than I'm prizing Jesus Christ, friendships need to go. Um, but what Samuel Pierce was able to do is say, these friendships are a good God-given thing, and I'm going to utilize this. I'm going to love my friendships, and I'm going to utilize this good gift for the kingdom. And so thinking through what that looks like in my life um, 
what that looks like for our, you know, beautiful apartment that's situated in between two awesome, you know, walking places. Mm -hmm. Who can we take on a walk? Who can mm -hmm. we show, you know, our our little quote unquote communal <laughs> backyard, yeah. you know? Um, and, and then how can we use those things for kingdom purposes? Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, before we end, I, I'm interested in whether or not you write letters. And I, I uh, think yeah. one of the, you know, things that we just, part of it is we're just in a different world. And so the handwritten letter just doesn't happen yeah. as much. And I don't know that there's anything particularly virtuous about writing letters, but there is this long pattern of writing letters in the Christian tradition going yeah. all the way back to, you know, the apostles who wrote yeah. letters and, and sent them. And um, there's, of course, our, a different kind of letter, but, but it seems like um, it's hard to untangle the just technological advances from, from that things that were developed by that practice and habit, yeah. because I think the way we do things does something to us. You know, so yeah. if we're mowing a, a lawn, well, there's something that pushing the mower does to you that riding the mower doesn't. Um, and one's not necessarily better than the other. They're just different. Um, but but I'm interested, you know, we're I guess we're a couple guys in our, our 20s talking about things that we're interested in at this point <laughs> uh, or that I'm interested in. And one of them is letter writing. So yeah. tell me about your experience with letter writing either in receiving letters from others or just uh, an ongoing practice. Yeah, so so I have a ongoing thing. If anyone writes me a letter, I will respond to that letter because I love I love the discipline and the slowing down of life mm -hmm. that comes with letter writing and the the act of love that it is. So um I don't find a lot of people that want to write me letters. Um but I uh, and usually it's it's this is really sad to me. It's more of a like a female thing to do, which is really is disappointing. It? I found um, so so the only people that would ever write me letters was Nicole when we were dating. Yep. Um, and we still write each other letters every once in a while. So maybe that's even more of a uh, relationship romantic yeah, thing. Yeah, that even was a, a more feminine thing. Right, romantic thing. Um, but then on the not romantic side, like at all. Um, my sister-in-law, Nicole's sister, we actually write letters back and forth. Okay. Um, and we just talk about, hey, how is church going? What mm -hmm. are some things that you are th you are thinking spiritually? How are you growing spiritually? How are you handling, you know, home life and college life? And what is that looking like? And um, so, so I do. I, that's the only outlet that I can find. If yeah. someone wants to write me a letter, if someone else wants to write me letters. That's okay, great, so <laughs> anyone in our church listening to yeah. this, we can get you. I'm Ethan's gonna get 50 address. letters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I yeah. so in my experience, growing up, we lived in North Dakota for a good amount of time, which is like a decade or two behind the rest of the world in technological development. So I remember when we mm. got internet finally, like our town of two thousand people, if that had a like seminar on how to use the world <laughs> wide web that wow. my dad and older sister went to. And then we had dial, you know, like the internet just wasn't a thing. Social media wasn't. And then even mm -hmm. when we, as I was getting older, it seemed like all of our, all of my friends either had smartphones or actual internet. And we had dial up internet all the way to like after I was in college, I think. So you just didn't use that. Like it just took long to load. But when I was a kid, we would go to, Bible camps in the summer and meet friends and we'd have pen pals that like yes. we would we would yeah. just write letters all year long back and forth 
until we saw each other at camp again. Mm. And, it, you know, where I was growing up, there just weren't that many kids, period, or people, period, you know. So that was an important way to communicate. And it seems like that's sort of fallen off. And I have a couple of friends that I write letters to and, and receive from, but yeah. but oca- only occasionally. Uh, but I, I just wonder if there's maybe something that that's beneficial in writing a letter instead of sending a text or an email or a Facebook message. Yeah, there's something I would just say there's something that's particularly loving I, on both ends of the spectrum. When I get when I get a letter from someone who's handwritten something and cared enough to take. I know that took time. Um, I, I feel a, a a special expression of love mm-hmm. and and I feel especially loving when mm-hmm. I'm able to sit down you know with my cup of coffee and my writing candle I have like a scented writing candle very nice uh, yeah I know it's really really special and uh and just be able to just love them not even in person it's really a yep. special experience so yeah I would commend it very highly yeah, I and I don't know what it takes to become to know all of the effects of this. Maybe there are mm. some great studies out there or something yeah. like that. But I was reading a little bit somewhere last night uh, a James K. A. Smith book, Imagining the Kingdom, and and he was talking about the iPhoneization of the world uh, and and yeah. how um, the the difference between holding your phone and using your fingers to text that that feels on in a way like that device is very intimate to you. But in and that's different even than a keyboard where you're outstretched. Mm. But but I think there's something you know unique about holding the pen. Like something's flowing from you to a paper that's then given to someone yes. else. So like yes. you, Katie and I, when when we were dating, would write letters, and <laughs> you know she would sometimes do the like perfume thing and like <laughs> no. Um, oh, so I great. just remember like opening that up at like. <laughs> A couple months into dating and being like, oh, this is awesome. Oh, that's um, But I I might write you a letter, Ethan. I won't Do it. spray yeah. any cologne on it or <laughs> anything but, uh, or burn the edges of the paper. <laughs> but anyway, thank you for sharing a little bit about Samuel Pierce. I think it's always interesting to, to learn that there are published books like that containing these letters of people who have died and gone, but who can serve as good examples for us. On June 5th, we are, as a church, participating in Amnion Crisis Pregnancy Center's Walk for Life. If you are in the Burnsville area on June 5th, we would encourage you to join with us in this walk. And if not, then to perhaps consider donating to one of the the walkers along the way. You can learn more about this uh, by, I suppose, just Googling Amnion Crisis Pregnancy Center Walk for Life. Uh, but you could sign up as a walker. You can, you, if you're a member at Resurrection or or just know of us, join our walking team. Walk with us, and and let's pursue this ministry together as we seek to support Amnion Crisis Pregnancy Center in Burnsville. You can learn more about Resurrection Church at www.resurrectionmn.org.